Hey, welcome to Vine Church Fort Myers podcast. We are glad that you took time to listen. We pray that the message of grace empowers you today. Amen. Galatians chapter 5, and then we're going to dive in chapter 6 to close. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Holy Spirit, we are not just studying a theological text that brings us doctrine. We are diving into the Word of God that is living and is powerful to change our minds, to change who we are from within, inside out. Oh God, bring revelation this morning as we open our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, the whole church said, Amen. Amen. Now, I need to step a little backwards in uh, Galatians chapter 5 because the title of this message is Grace Applied. Again, grace is not a doctrine. Grace is not meant to be a theology that Christianity is proud to hold on. No, no. Grace is a lifestyle that should uh, uh, affect every aspect of our life. And if there's something that is really related to life, is relationships. So you're going to see grace applied to every level and aspects of our relationships. That's why in Galatians chapter 5, Verse 26, Paul writes, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying or uh, having jealousy over one another. Now, Paul is very clear. He's saying that irritating, okay, provoking someone is only the symptom. The problem is envy behind now, I want you to understand that envy is not a small problem. No, no, no. Jealousy and envy is behind of most of our discords. Divorces, broken families, divided churches, usually behind the, the, the scenes of all that discord and dissension, it is envy and jealousy. It's when someone look and compare himself to somebody else and look to that person that is more blessed, that has a happier life, that seems that things happy, ha- happen easily for them. And now comparing yourself, you feel inferior. You feel belittled. And now because of this comparison, instead of cheering on and, incur- and being encouraged by someone, someone else's victory, you feel jealous. You feel envious. You have a problem, and instead of learning with that person, you want to kill that person. Now, you're a crazy person. I don't never desire anybody to, you know, to kill someone. Don't lie to me, because I know myself enough to know you as well. So the problem behind uh, uh, the irritation, the anger you feel when somebody around us is more prosperous, it seems more happier than we are, is that envy and jealousy irritates and lead us to all kinds of discord. When a spouse have, uh, makes more money than the other uh, and, and envy creeps in, divorce is the next door. When brothers start to compare themselves after they are in a different careers or they are in different places in marketplace, envy and jealousy creeps in and distance the brothers. 
churches, when a life group leader has this fruitful and multiplying life group compared to others, the one that is not as fast growing as the first one feels belittled and says, it's better I leave the church, nobody considers me here. And on and on. Again, don't think that envy is a small thing. For you have an idea what I'm talking about. The very reason why Jesus was crucified is because of jealousy and envy. So the Bible is very clear in Matthew chapter 27. Actually, all the Gospels, the evangelists, they wrote it that what led the religious leaders to kill Jesus was jealousy. Because miracles, signs and wonders were following Jesus' ministry and they could not perform the same miracles. And they had envy. And they desire and they actually took the initiative to kill Jesus. And the same problem of jealousy and courage were behind the Jews that tried to kill Paul. And actually persecuted Paul all the way his ministry. You see this in Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 17. The whole problem was jealousy. Now again, this is the most common problem in relationships. But it's the last recognize uh, sin and works of the flesh. Actually, in my office, I never, I never had a spouse coming to me and say, Pastor, I need to confess something. My husband is making more money than me, and I just want to kill him right now because I'm so irritated of jealousy. I never had this confession in my office. Actually, I never had any brother in our church come and say, Pastor, you know, that other person uh, in our church is growing, having this prosperous this fruitful ministry pastor i just want to just want to kill that person right now pastor because it seems unfair why that person is so blessed i never had anyone confessing that but my office is full of people couples brothers and sisters people in the church coming with dissensions relationship problems but it's so rare someone that recognize i have an envy jealousy problem while is so present. Now, let, let me prove that to you guys. Let's go to James chapter 4. Because here, the apostle James gives us a good solution for envy. He says, you desire and do not have. Simple like that. I, like, you look around and you have the desire of blessings. Desire of open doors. That job opportunity. You have the desire. But instead of being encouraged by others' victories other's achievement you want to kill that person look it's not me saying this is apostle james is the word of god so you murder it keeps saying you covet you have the desire but you cannot obtain so what do you do instead of learning instead of getting a new course instead of asking for prayers instead of trusting god's grace you fight and you quarrel you you create division you enter in a strife with your spouse, with your husband, with your wife, with your kids, with your brothers. Now James closes like this. You do not have because you never ask. And here's the clue. We need to repent, to use a biblical word. We need to metanoia. We need to change our perspective of God's goodness. The solution for envy is the very grace that is making you stumbling. I'm going to repeat that. That deserves a Twitter. Look, the very grace, the very favor of God 
that you are comparing that others have and you are not enjoying is the very solution of your jealousy. The problem is that you don't believe, you don't trust, you, don't, you have a wrong perspective of God's goodness. You think like this, everybody in the church is getting married. Look, in the cabinet of marriage blessings that God has for me in this church, God is getting, God is lacking resource. God is getting limit, limited with his resources. There is not enough people for me in this church, so it's better I just leave the church. So your idea is that in God's goodness, pay attention here. I know there's people crazy to get married, but don't, don't be so exposed. <laughs> Look, pay attention here, guys. If you have a wrong perspective of God's limitless goodness, you're going to think that if God gave to my brother, to my sister, to my spouse, to my friend something, now he will not going to have enough to give me. And because of that, I envy, I have jealousy over that person. But if I understand that God's grace, favor, goodness is limitless, is endless, I can come, James chapter 4, four please, I can come and ask, and God will give me. But pastor, he already gave to someone, but God is powerful to bring from nothing everything that exists. It's a matter of asking. It's a matter of being humble enough. To approach your heavenly father said, Daddy, I want to. I want that blessing. And I know you have enough for me. You are more than enough. And I not only sing that. I not only uh, rehearse that. I believe that. So I ask. You're not believing me, right? So let me give you not the words of the apostles. Let me give you the word of your God, Jesus Christ. That says in John chapter 16, verse 23. In that day... You will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Come on, let me hear some shouts of praise in this house. Pastor, if I knew it was as easy as ask, why I never ask? I don't know why I never ask. But one of the reasons is because you have a wrong perspective of God's limitless, limitless goodness. He lacks nothing. And if something doesn't exist in this church, my brother, he is able to bring it into existence. Just believe his grace and favor. That's why I'm saying the very solution for your jealousy is the favor that is making you stumbling over the other brother's life. So just ask. Are you guys with me this morning? Now, Paul keeps diving deeper now in the application of grace in our relationships. In chapter 6, he opens like this. Follow up with me now. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. I like this parallel here. While the first example I just mentioned in chapter 5, uh, Paul says, you know, you look around and you feel lessened. You feel inferior. Like your perspective when you compare yourself with someone that is more blessed is that you are belittled. Like you are not as blessed as that person. Now he flipped the coin. 
He says, now in the church, there is this brother that by an accident, he was caught in transgression. He failed. He made a mistake. And how you feel about it? Now you are the good one. Now you are the superior one. Now comparing again yourself with that brother, you are better than them. You are holy than thou. Now why you feel like that? Paul says that that's the problem. You compare yourself instead of just trusting the grace. Again, the, the solution again is the very grace that supports you, that keeps you hold on, keeps you standing, is the grace that is going to restore the brother. So in the first case, we feel inferior. But now it is a problem of pride. It's with that feeling of superiority. And now let me say something very important. The test is not over the brother that was caught in transgression. Every time a life group has someone that is weak, every time a family is struggling with a relative that is still struggle, is struggling with some bad habits, every time a church has people and leaders that sometimes fail, the test is not over that brother. The test is over the church. So grace ought to form... A gracious church. Grace understood should shape a gracious family. I pray that by the end of July, when we're going to close Galatians, our church will be more gracious church. Now, if all this understanding of grace in Galatians does not change our relationships and let us be more merciful, uh, that, that leads us to, to walk the second mile. That enables us to turn the cheek and just endure the transgression and the weakness of the brothers around us. We did not learn a thing. So if grace was experienced, we ought to be more gracious. The evidence of a spirit-filled life is a practical, loving relationship with the brothers. Pastor, but come on, we don't want to endure sin here. You don't want to just allow sinful and lawless life in our church. Absolutely not. The question is how to restore with grace someone that is weak and keeps falling. Now again, we know that the, the, the solution for that is not the way of the Galatians. We learned that they tried to fix the problem with human power. With man's power, with the religion way, they tried the Mosaic law way. And that's the world and religion mindset. Man has all the resources within his grasp to remedy his condition without God in my own strength. But the Bible tells us that man is impotent, that man is powerless to fix himself. Solution relies solely in the grace of God. Come on, somebody. So again, uh, the, the test here for the church is when someone is caught in sin, someone who is leading to sin, what you guys are going, going to do? And I'm not talking of someone that has a constant involvement in deliberate and intentional sinful life. No, no. I'm talking of someone that is born again and is bothered, is annoyed, is hurt by that practice that somehow maybe even became a habit. It is that unfortunate situation that happens. 
And in that case, the church is in test. Grace is the solution. That person must be exhorted and corrected, but all in a spirit of gentleness. Like grace is not a bias for sin. Grace corrects, but in order to restore the person, not to condemn that person. Now let me say this because maybe you never realized that. Jesus never, ever condemned sinners, ever. But this doesn't mean that Jesus approved sin. And where is the balance for this, Pastor? We have this beautiful story, a real story, in John chapter 8. A woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the religious leaders brought her in the middle of the circle. Probably she was semi-naked, just holding the blankets of the very act. And I don't want to enter in details because there are minors in the room. But you understand what adultery means. The very act of adultery. And she probably was in that state of terrible shame. And now in the middle of that judgment, of that surrounding judgment, Jesus was riding on the sand. And when he stood, John chapter 8, verse 10, after asking the ones who never seen to throw the first stone, no one was left behind. He says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sing no more. Perfect correction. Perfect exhortation. But with a spirit of gentleness. It is Grace and truth coming in fullness in the person of Jesus Christ. That, that's what Jesus represents. You guys remember this? John chapter 1 verse 14. The son of the father. Jesus, he came full of grace and truth. And he has to be in this order. Which order? Neither do I condemn you. But now go and sin no more. Again, we are not supporting sin here. We're going to correct. We're going to fix the problem. We're going to change the environment. We're going to actually uh, uh, protect that person. But before that, we take that person back to its position, to his or her position. Now, it's important to say that, that the goal here is the restoration. So we're not talking of a person that is unsaved and totally lost. I'm talking of someone that is saved, but because of condemnation and guilt, it's unable to be an active, healthy member of the body of Christ. So Paul says in verse 1 again, Galatians chapter 6, 1, you who are spiritual should restore him. So the goal is restoration. But how are we going to do that? How are we going to restore that person? First, let, let us embrace meekness. Let us understand that without the grace of God, we will never be able to ourselves stand. No one is immune to falls. So let's be humble and rely solely on the strength of the Spirit. Now I heard this definition of humility. That's a good moment for you to take notes. Humility is not about belittling yourself. Humility 
It's not a matter of condemning yourself or depreciating who you are. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but humility is thinking of yourself less. In other words, it's not about you. The goal is to restore that person. So you stop comparing yourself and simply focus into restoring that person. Now, we want the whole body to be activated. And the only way is restoring the weak one. Uh, Pastor, but give us more because, again, we don't want to make a mistake. We don't want to just create that sense that it is all okay with, regardless the behavior, regardless the wrong decisions a person takes. I agree with you. That's why Paul says in verse 2, Galatians chapter 6, if you guys are following with me, we are reading and studying verse by verse Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, please. That says, come on, bring it on. I need it there. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Say the law of Christ. Now, again, Paul is very clear. It's not the law of Moses. Now, the law of Moses is powerless to fix problems and relationships. And, and, and he actually summarizes the entire law in the previous chapter, in chapter 5. He says, if you really want to practice the law of Moses, remember something. Just love your neighbor as you love yourself. That, that's an awesome summary of the entire law of Moses. The problem is that we have an identity problem. And a lot, of, a lot of people don't love themselves. And I don't want to be loved like they love themselves. Because they don't love themselves, they will not be able to love me. Because love is not something intrinsic, something within the nature of man. Like no one is actually able to love without the source of all love. That's why Paul now in chapter 6, he says, no, no, no. Just understand and, and, and be led by uh, an elevated law, the law of Christ. And let me remind you what is the law of Christ. John chapter 13, a new commandment, verse 34, a new law, the law of Christ I give to you. This is Jesus saying that he, you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. All right, so now I'm learning that the source of my love, patience, endurance to carry my brother's burdens is not my own love, but the very love that first loved me. I'm only able to endure patiently the process of restoration of my brother when I am in power, fed on into the love of Christ within me. Okay, let me be, be more biblical with you guys. Same writer, same author, but now in his letter, 1 John chapter 4, he says, We love because he first loved us. So the very source of love is not in ourselves because God is love and he lives within us. I am unable to love those persons that transgress, make mistakes, and sleep around me. Again, guys. And sometimes it's not a matter of sin. Sometimes it's a matter of bad and terrible seasons in that person's life. Without the patience of the church, 
in 2016, when I was unable to preach, when I was unable to be pastor, I will never be here with you guys. 2016, in June 22nd, my son went to heaven. And while he went to heaven, I went to hell. And I need the patience of the church to endure the grief, to endure the mourning season in my life. Which, by the way, by a miracle was only three months. And we know it was just a miracle. But part of this miracle process was the church supporting and carrying my burdens. What I'm asking you in the next week is that in somehow, by the Holy Spirit, you understand the burden of our persecuted brothers. And somehow we also can be moved out of love, not out of, uh, of compulsion, not out of the pastor's pressure, but out of love, we can carry one another's burdens. Okay, pastor, but come on, I don't feel this love you just mentioned. This is, this is love that only pastors and leaders feel. Who, who it's... Who, who define you that love is a matter of feeling? Actually, which Hollywood movie did you watch that made you to believe in that lie? Uh, love is not a matter of feeling. We know that it's a matter of decision, but also it is a matter of being connected to the right source. Let me repeat this. You are connected in the right source. You are one with the Holy Spirit. He dwells within you. Let me give you a Bible base for that. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Paul writes, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So what is a burden that we should carry uh, each other and support each other here? Is that tribulation, affliction, calamity... And yes, sometimes even the consequences of some transgressions and sleeping because of love will not let anyone go through those struggles alone. It's beautiful because, I don't know if you ever experienced that, but uh, if you ever moved to one place to another and you needed to carry that heavy uh, wood furniture that you inherited from your grandma. And you don't know why that thing is so heavy. But you have to carry all the way where you live. You knew that maybe you were able in the gym to lift, I don't know, 40 kilograms. I don't know in pounds how much it would be. 70 pounds uh, by yourself. You'll be able to lift 70 pounds. And you know that that terrible, heavy table weights 100 pounds you can't like you try before in the gym and you don't like you made the math it is impossible but now you have that extra help of someone that is able to carry i don't know maybe 15 pounds only and you sum up the things 70 plus 15 is 85 you're not gonna give the 100 pounds you need to carry the weight that's what uh, in the sociology they call the synergy but when we carry each other burdens, you're not able only to carry 85 pounds. We're able to carry 150 pounds. We're able to carry not only the table, but put some furniture above it because we're going to just make one trip. That, that's the power of carrying each other burdens. Are you guys with me? Are you guys receiving anything here? So that, that's why Paul now, in the process of 
restoring the brother caught in transgression or someone that is weak, he gives us a admonition. He says, just watch yourself. Look, don't forget, if you are standing here, it is because of God's grace. Maybe the big problem of the legalist is that they don't see themselves. They are blind. They, they self-deceive. They, because of their self-righteousness, they are unable to see themselves. And Paul reminds us here in Galatians chapter 6 that if you don't pay attention, we're going to fall in the same pit of hypocrisy. Let me close this message. Explain one thing here. Because, again, we don't want to create an environment when people think that, Pastor, come on, this, this just sounds wrong. Because now everybody has to suffer because someone made a wrong decision and fell in a transgression. We all are going to pay the price here. There is no consequence at all. That's how amazing is the Word of God. If you read Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, we are instructed to bear one another's burdens. But when you read verse 5, Paul says, For each will have to bear his own load. It seems contradiction, but it's not. Because while we ought to carry the burdens that are too heavy for one person to carry alone, no one we're going to share the burden of responsibility before God on the day of judgment. So, even though we support, we help, we give our hands, yes, one aspect you never have to forget, one day we're going to give accountability to our Lord. And on that day, I want to be encountered, I want to be encountered as as someone that was faithful to love to the end because I was loved first. Let me invite you to stand up this morning. And for someone that maybe is listening to this message or watching later, the question is, where are you finding the source for love in your relationships? Maybe you got tired of that person that you marry. Maybe you are exhausted just to be part of that church because nobody recognizes you. Look, the solution is the grace of God. The solution is coming to Jesus and finding in Him the limitless source of everything, but mainly today, the love to love others. That's why I want to...